Today we discuss the biggest crossover of the millennium. We take a look at Marvel vs. Capcom 2's massive 56-man roster, discuss the critically panned soundtrack, and brag about the Dreamcast being the best version. Also, what's this free Marvel vs. Capcom 2 movement? Let's take you for a ride on this episode of Sega Talk. Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what? Welcome to Sega Talk number 79. I'm your host, George, and with me, like always, is Barry. was my my intro music I thought, like I, I thought you were gonna be like so like we're this episode we're obviously gonna be talking about one of the biggest games of the 2000s probably probably one of the most popular games of the 2000s at least for me growing up um i don't know about you but if you had to take a side in this war whose side would you be on like capcom or marvels now marvel mm. yeah now for sure right it's an easy one, um, right? But Capcom was pretty, uh, pretty slick back then. Like, I think this is probably the biggest era for their fighting games. It was because they had like uh, Street Fighter Three, they had the Marvel vs. Capcom Two, they had uh, Capcom vs. SNK Two. So they were right, uh, popping right. off back in the day. Um, I don't think this game really needs an introduction because I think everyone knows this game, but uh, we're going to be talking about Marvel vs. Capcom 2 New Age of Heroes, which is a crossover fighting game published and developed by Capcom and is actually the fourth entry in the franchise. The game is obviously hmm. known for its crazy anime, anime style combo system, tag system, uh, crazy broken gameplay, and a huge roster of... Uh, characters featuring some famous characters and even some of the biggest weirdos from capcom and marvel universe so barry tell us and the people online your history with this game because i mean you're in your general impressions because like this was a pretty big game for capcom and sega at the time because it was like mainly right. advertised for dreamcast right so um yeah yeah um, this is a game, this and, well, the original one and the sequel on Dreamcast were ones I, I would rent from time to time, but I went over to my library and looked and I, I didn't see it there, so I guess I've never actually owned it, which surprises me. I honestly thought I owned, um, at least Marvel vs. Capcom, the first one. I do have Capcom vs. SNK millennium fight 2000 but i don't i don't own these ones um i do have them on like digital services i think it was on xbox 360 at one point oh yeah one point. uh which we'll talk and about. i i'm not surprised that it has a cult following i i wouldn't even be so sure if it is like a cult it might just be like an actual full-blown following you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah so, but yeah, but you you seem to love it. You picked it. This is not a Patreon pick. No, I picked it because like growing up, like in my neighborhood, like when you go to the arcades locally, 
they would always have Marvel versus Capcom games. Like, one of them. It was the Gym Fighter one, which is Marvel. It was just like they randomly, I don't know, they were just so popular that they ended up in, like, these little stores uh, where I live. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so I was totally new about Marvel vs. Capcom. I really liked the arts, the style, but, like, I was always getting beat when I was a kid. Every time I would go to the arcade, they would, <laughs> some guy would just come and beat me. And it's like, because I used to play, like, Street Fighter 2. But this is totally different than Street Fighter 2. You can't even have the same thought process as, like, blocking or even, like, play defensive. This is, like, try to go in there and do the craziest combo and take the most damage game. And, uh... So when 2 came out, I remember I was super hyped when I read the magazine articles, especially considering I was already like a Dreamcast fanboy. I owned one. So any game right. that would give me the advantage at school to talk uh, trash about it, the upcoming PS2, I'd be like, well, this game is, uh, this, uh, this franchise is coming to the Dreamcast, right? It has 56 characters. It's the biggest ever. And you don't have to, and it was going to be arcade perfect, which was the hype back then. So well, definitely it was one of my... Right. Uh, biggest uh games that i had to p- purchase but yeah let's talk a little bit about development of the game well we will most likely uh cover s- well we're gonna be talking about some of the past games that they did because uh we're gonna be talking about how they got the marvel license obviously li- uh, if listeners didn't know capcom actually had at this point a relationship with uh, marvel for almost a decade the first game Capcom created for Marvel was 1993's Beat 'Em Up: The Punisher, that actually got a port on the Sega Genesis. Did you ever Did you ever play the Genesis uh, Punisher game? Um, I, I did not. I it was it. hard to know back then, like when they'd be good and when they'd be bad. So <laughs> at that, one point, I just kind of like ignored them. That's ex- exactly. Actually, at this point, Marvel had this whole thing where we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah. I definitely didn't beat them up, uh, play it when I, it's a beat em up, but I didn't play it when it came out. I do remember playing it like, like on an emulator randomly. I thought it was uh, kind of just whatever. It's nothing like, it's not a great game, but that's just kind of how these beat em up games used to be back in the day. They would come out a dime a dozen. So right now it might not seem that, that way because right now it seems like the light Marvel license is hard to get right now, but because uh, of the big success of the Marvel movies. But back then, right. Marvel was slutting out this franchise really badly. Like, they had multiple publishers doing multiple Spider-Man games and all this. Like, for example, Acclaim and Sega were doing Spider-Man, and Sega and Konami were both doing X-Men titles at the same time. Um, there's a huge list of games. Do you remember these, like, early 90s Marvel games? And are there any of these games that you actually liked? Like, there's a lot of games that you look at the history, uh, for all dating um, all the way from 1982, if you see the link I, I put on the notes. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm digging through it right now. I remember enjoying the Spider-Man games. I, I don't believe I owned any, but now I do. I actually just recently got Maximum Carnage. Um, I, I might actually own Marvel vs. Capcom on Dreamcast. I actually have this app. It's called Game Vault, mm. and I opened it, and it says... You have it. It says it's in my library, so it it must be over there. It kind of concerns me now because I'm like, if it says it's in my library, but it's not over there, something happened to it. What happened to it? So, um, yeah, but no, I, I rem- there's a ton of them. I remember the X Men games. Um, nothing really like stands out to me though, except for maybe the Spider Man 32X game, just because I've wanted to own it and I just never got around to it, and now it's like, I guess, super rare. Um, 
Yeah, but I definitely remember I, I the mean, like X Men and X Men Two Clone Wars because they had like the sickest covers of all time, and then you buy it, and it's not the greatest game in the world, but it was pretty sick at the time to be able to play like the cartoon version of X Men as a beat 'em up game at home. That was pretty slick. Right. But yeah, and then the Incredible Hulk had like weird graphics where everything was super shiny. I remember that. Like, it was like wannabe like like Donkey Kong Country graphics. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there was some games they had going. I don't think they actually got pretty big until, at least in my opinion, you know, Marvel's Capcom. I think that's what made it really like stand out. Um, to be honest, at this point in time, there were a lot of X Men and Marvel type games, and during the mid '90s, Street Fighter was probably the hottest game on the market. The artist behind the Marvel games uh, at Capcom, who credits himself as Aki Man, Man, is that how you say his name? Uh, Akiman uh, went to mm-hmm. Twitter back in 2020 to talk about the development of the Marvel vs. series, or at least what he remembers. Um, according, to, according to him, he was called into the arcade division at office at, at Capcom, and he was told, and the boss told him, I can get you the X-Men slash Marvel license. What do you think? Um, but according to the director of the game, uh, Nishitani, he said that the reason they acquired the license was because Akiman, the artist, was a big fan and would always talk about how cool X-Men were and how they're popular <laughs> in the United States and that they were uh, coming back to popularity in the 90s. You remember that, right? That they were coming... Oh, like, absolutely, yeah. yeah. The cartoon and then led into those the movies in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. Which uh, led Capcom to acquiring the license to develop a fighting game starting X-Men characters. Akiman would also say that he, uh, it was a, a business focus at the time. Um, Jim Lee, they were saying that, like, yes, he liked X-Men, but at the time, Capcom actually saw a market for this game in the United States, so that's why they did it. It wasn't because he was a huge fan, even though that's what they say. That was the reason they looked into it. But at the time, Jim Lee's X-Men was breaking comic book sales records in the United States. That launched in 1991. Um, Konami's X-Men video game was actually pretty popular in the arcades in 1992. And then they had the Mm -hmm. X-Men, the animated series that also started in 1992. Um, I would say if we talk to people that grew up in our era, uh, they will say Jim Lee's X-Men is the classic X-Men they remember. Do you remember X-Men's popularity during this era where like they redid the X-Men, they had Jim Lee, they had those stories with... You know, the Sentinels, Acopolis, and all these uh, things they adapted early on? Well, yeah, I mean, talking about it, you reminded me of it. But um, I, I was just going to say real quick, I do have the uh, Capcom Design Works art book here. Ooh. And inside they do have uh, art for Marvel vs. Capcom and Marvel vs. Capcom too, as well as the games that precede it. But yeah, it's, just, it's, it's really cool to see this art like reimagined. Yeah, in, in the Capcom style. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, they they have a whole cast of Capcom characters who, as you can see from the cover uh, of this book, if you're watching on video, they go together really well. But then, if you were to throw in, like like you're mentioning the like Jim Lee X Men, it's not exactly one to one, and so you really do need to redesign the entire like lineup of characters in order for them to fit in. Um, but yeah, I I always was a fan, like a like kind of an outside fan of the X Men. 
Um, I really got into it with the cartoon series. I remember Pizza Hut. They gave away uh, VHS tapes. They were silver and gold like foil, and they came with trading cards. Mm. Um, I remember the trading cards being really cool, and then I got into the movies. And I mean, to this day, I'd I'd probably say the X-Men like movie series as a whole, despite there being like some of the worst superhero movies ever made in there, like when they when they go good, like they're really good. So I, I'm I'm a huge fan of the X Men movies as on a whole. Um, I'm just kind of sad that they like New Mutants was the last one and that was it. <laughs> you know, I, it's like and, I I feel like the movies got so popular that it like actually changed the way the X Men were for like a long time. I guess we'll talk mm-hmm. about that later because I do have a question about the comics and the change in the two thousands. But. Uh, mm-hmm. You're you're a big fan, so it's going to be interesting to talk about it. But uh, I just wanted this is actually the weirdest part when I did the research because Akiman, the artist that you were showing the artwork, is such a big X Men fan that he was actually doing in in house translations for the X Men and other Marvel comics in house. He said that the work that he finished translating Fatal Attractions arc and the Thanos is now famous Infinite Gauntlet story. His translations mm. actually got published in Japan under Marvel Cross. Uh, the animated series, it was actually aired in Japan and allegedly was funded and published by Capcom to promote the video game. So, interesting. Capcom in-house was actually translating actual Marvel stories so Japanese audiences could take a, you know, understand the story behind it. And they were also publishing the cartoon. Do you, have you ever heard of another publisher that would take this much time and effort to take the source material and like put it in Japan like I've never seen I've never seen like the Die Hard movies get a Sega release you know what I mean well no I mean not on this level um but like within I mean like in the case of Die Hard obviously it's being translated by the the I think Fox was the distributor so they they are they are doing their own work but it is interesting to see them do that level of effort I guess the closest thing I could say now is that like when Sega brings over a game here that's maybe like three games in or it crosses over with something, the social team will make like videos mm-hmm. and make articles uh, and try to like get fans up to speed so that they're not going in blind. Because, I mean, you and I know full well that in the early 2010s, Sega would like bring stuff over but they wouldn't give any context. They'd just like drop it on us and we're like, what the hell is this? You know? Oh yeah. Um, but now they like handhold. They're like lost judgment is coming out. It's a sequel to judgment. And you're like, okay. (laughs) And then there's like another video and it'll be like, here are the voice actors. They speak Japanese, but there's English ones too. And you're like, okay. And (laughs) I just, I think it's, I, I mean, well, yeah, but I think it's cool that they do that. And this is like doing it to the extreme because you're like, oh, here's Marvel versus Capcom. What's Marvel? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Especially we'll tell you. in Japan, like in the 90s with no internet, like to us, it was obviously like, oh, we know what the X-Men are. We have a long history with the X-Men. But in Japan, I never thought about it. It'd be like bringing like, I don't know, Berserk over and then having like a AAA game in America, but we never even knew the comic existed and it was never printed over here. Right, but that's what we forget about because we're over here. There's all these like Japanese anime obsessed kids who are like, I really want to go to Japan and and be like 
covered in anime, and then you go over there and you meet Japanese kids and, and people who are probably like, oh, I like Star Wars, I like Marvel, <laughs> you know? Um, th- wonder... There's a reason why they had... There, there's a reason why I remember our, our, when I showed the George Lucas like commercials from over there and the fact that they do like conventions. Like, oh, yeah. You know, there, there's a huge fan base of like American otaku or whatever you'd call it, like fanboys. I wonder if those otakus like think that everyone in America dresses like the Simpsons. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because like there's like. Oh, like weird... uh, Rawhide Kobayashi? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so now that we got the. Foundation for the Capcom and Marvel's early relationship, we can move on to December 1st, 1999. This is when Capcom finally announced the official sequel to Marvel vs. Capcom Clash of Superheroes, which was uh, mm-hmm. developed exclusively on Sega's Noah, Noah, Naomi hardware. I don't know why I always think it's something totally different. Um, which, during this time, was a uh, was big because this is actually the first Capcom fighting game that was not made on their own CP system, two or three hardware. Uh, this is also the first title to have 2D sprites with 3D backgrounds. Do you remember this? And uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. What was your opinion on the the 2D characters on with the 3D backgrounds? Because like this is the first time, even though you know. They were always kind of jaggy, right? Like, they were reusing these, like, sprites for so long and they were low resolution. To me, this is the first time right. I see I, I played a game and I'm like, holy crap, these fucking sprites need to be updated. Especially after playing, like, <laughs> Guilty Gear on, game, on, on Dreamcast. They had higher resolution. Right. Te- yeah, like, it just, like, the 3D background just made them, like, pop even more jaggy to me. Or... Yeah, you yeah, can also I mean the, the Dreamcast is like better picture too. But what, what do you think? Right. Yeah. There is that. I I I I liked it. I thought it was innovative and a fun use of the hardware. It's honestly what I thought a lot of Saturn games would be like. And then when I played the Saturn, I'm like, oh, it's mostly you know failed attempts at 3D games. Why weren't you doing this on the Saturn? Um, that was surprising. But. I, I think it's cool. I think it's. I think the Dreamcast was when a lot of developers really started to like embrace the 2D and not feel so uh, pressured to make every single game 3D. So they're like, well, if we're gonna make a 2D game, let's kind of use these elements where we can. Like you know, Sonic Mania, they would do stuff like that where they were like, oh, we're a 2D game, and then when you see 3D graphics, you're like, oh, whoa, <laughs> this oh, is yeah. insane. <laughs> you know, it's it's cool though. My only thing was like, oh man, this game would be so sick with like new sprites. It's never going to happen because it has 56 sprites, right? It's like, who's going to redo all these sprites? And it's going to take a million dollars. But yeah, it's still, right. I still like the sprites. They're still really high quality in this game, even though they're lower resolution. But uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of 2D backgrounds, so I'm always going to be a hater no matter what. So that's just how it's going to be. Um, so Capcom also created a new system with points, uh, which, as far as I recall, on the Dreamcast uh, was also on the Dreamcast, but they kind of like changed it the way it worked. But uh, the, mm-hmm. the the idea was supposed to be that all these versions were going to work with each other, and there was going to be like end points, which you earn by going to the arcade. So you you would earn your own points for arcade, and then you would earn D points on the Dreamcast, and then you would earn B points by playing online. Obviously. There was no online version for it in America, so obviously this whole thing was scrapped. Uh, but there was mm-hmm. a match service 
for the Japanese version of the game, which with with the help of KDD Corp was using data on demand as a foundation that offered a whopping below 60 milliseconds of, I guess, lag or lag-free gameplay. This feature was removed wow. from the future games and international ports, so we never got an actual online version on Dreamcast. But the way that the match service worked basically was that you had to dial directly to another Dreamcast. There wasn't a lobby. There wasn't like random matchmaking. Oh, you had to know the Dreamcast owner. So it was like kind of like the old Sega Saturn um, online gameplay where you had to know the number or whatever, and you had to dial directly and be on at the same time or whatever. I probably not right. at the same time, but well, I guess yeah, you have to be on at the same time, right, to play online. Uh, what's your opinion right. on the idea of Capcom's point system, uh, which were scrapped with you know having arcade and online and and uh, Dreamcast offline being their own points? Right. And what was your opinion of them not doing online? I think everyone agrees. Like this game would have been blockbuster <laughs> back in the day <laughs> online, right? Right, yeah, no, I, I think it's an interesting point system. I think having three tiers is too much. I think, honestly, just have one type of point. I don't know why you need to differentiate. Maybe say, like, like if you want to push people to go to arcades, still say that if you go to arcades, you get double the points or triple the points. Um, or maybe there's a way that your your Dreamcast points, when you go and play in arcades, get doubled. So that when you're playing at arcades, you don't have any points. But if you have the Dreamcast version, then you start racking up points at the arcade. You know what I mean? Like something like that to like, I don't really know what Capcom's um, push was at the time. If they wanted people to both go to arcades and play on the Dreamcast. Uh, I know with um, F-Zero, GX, and AX, their big push was to kind of do like cross do a little crossover and have like unlockable content they could have done something like that um as for lack of online like yeah now that's just like you you don't do that um actually on our uh swing and report show that uh i i did with big elk on the dreamcast anniversary we were he was bringing up like what's the deal with the sports games basically because he came late to dreamcast so it's like to him it was like these things are useless <laughs> and I had to point out to him that, like, at the time, they were hot shit. But the thing is, with sports games, especially the online ones, is that once the newer versions come out, people aren't going online to play NFL 2K1 when NFL 2K, like, 4 is out. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. So it's not just the roster, but it's also, like, where the community is. So, yeah, sports games, they... They can come out, be hot, and then just like fizzle out as soon as the the new hot game comes out. Whereas with these, there's more of a shelf life. Um, but as we also learned when we did our uh, Sega Talk Xbox one, we looked at those Sega Net notes. Remember they they were like, you don't Sega told Microsoft you don't need to have a ton of games. You can just have one big one and focus on it. That's fine because they were saying that's what we did with PSO. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and they learn that you can make a lot of money. So maybe here this was that Sega of America kind of applying that. They're like, well, we could put every Capcom game online, but then we would be doing a lot more work than just one MMO. So and uh, well, we'll get into the other versions of the game, and uh, we'll talk about you know that uh, <clears throat> thing. It's an, a very interesting right. thing with the online on that game because there was moments where they could have 
done it, and they never did, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, let's talk right. about the gameplay on uh, Capcom, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom. Uh, the, game play, the game actually changed quite a bit uh, when it comes to gameplay. New players could select a team of three characters to tag in and out compared to the only two in the first game. The tag system is still part of uh, Capcom's, where they, li- they like to call it the variable system, which uh, basically allowed a user to tag in a partner at any point, even during a combo, during, a, during anything, basically, almost. Marvel's Capcom mm-hmm. 2 also used Marvel superheroes versus Street Fighters var- variable assist, which allowed an off-screen partner to come in and perform a special move, which I've seen some crazy things people do with this game, like... They'll like bring in a partner, they'll like do a combo, tag in, finish the combo, tag another guy in, and then get a, an assist to like keep them in the air and then continue the combo so they can never land on the ground. It's less like, man, you guys are blockbuster, <laughs> man. You guys know what you guys are doing. Anyway, um, obviously, right. Marvel vs. Capcom 2 isn't like anything previous in Street Fighter games and during the era. Did you understand all these mechanics and like being able to chain them and like what you could get away with growing up? Because to me, I was like, when I when I started seeing like professional players play, I'm like, oh okay, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I that's what I noticed. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I I'm completely oblivious to that. Honestly, if we didn't do these podcasts, I'd probably think all fighting games play exactly the same. Um, I'm just, yeah, I I am. To me, it's like a foreign concept that I I can wrap my head around a little bit, but when I see it, see people playing, or when I'm playing myself, I'm like, I just <laughs> I just hit buttons, you know. I think I know Virtua exactly. Fighter is really the only fighting game where I have strategy, some level of strategy. But like you said, with these, like people, I'm watching people switch in, switch out, switch in, switch out. It's like, bro. I'm done. How can you think this fast? That's like what I'm saying. Like I'm showing like right now in the background, if you guys are watching the video, I'm watching, we're watching Justin Wong's best moments, who is considered one of the best players to play the game. Um, he plays it professionally. He still streams his game, by the way, on Dreamcast. He refuses to play any other version. He says that Dreamcast is the best one, obviously. Um, right. This actually opens the game up to do crazy, crazy as hell combos, especially considering that the Marvel vs. Capcom series already kind of has easy to chain combos like these they only had four four face buttons right it was like light hit hard hit light kick hard hit and you could just basically hit Mm -hmm. like one two one two one two you know they weren't super hard but like chaining them to be these long things to take massive damage and a little bit of skill comes in right um actually this game actually succeeded a lot of other games coming out in this era especially when it comes to tournament play it was Actually, at Evo 2020, can you believe that? Literally last year, it was featured as an open tournament on Dreamcast, the Dreamcast version. So people last year were still playing high caliber Marvel vs. Capcom 2. While today's today's companies spend a lot of money updating fighting games to balance them out, the Dreamcast version of Marvel vs. Capcom 2 came out 20 years ago without an update and still has a cult following in the FGC. Uh, are you surprised and like is it okay to have some games that are super broken like I feel like sometimes these <laughs> these people love these broken games it's like I don't know like Capcom everyone knows Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is broken yet everyone wants to play it professionally and everyone wants to like get good at it right well I mean I, I guess games at that era when they released they released and that was it so it wasn't so much that they were 
I guess to say it was broken implies that it can be fixed. You know what I mean? And if no one's fixing games, then the game is really not broken. It just is what it is, <laughs> which is such a weird way to go about games. I mean, you know, if you're if you're younger listening to this or if you've just been playing games since, like, the PS3, uh, I have news for you. Like, what was on the disc or the cartridge was the game. There was no add-on. There was no like updates um the game lived on the disc your save file lived on the memory card and that was about it it was i i mean they would roll out revisions like sonic one had revisions but they didn't advertise it they weren't like hey guys we're really sorry the clouds move in this cartridge so why don't you run out buy a new cartridge and the clouds will move appropriately the closest <laughs> just... the closest they did was like re-release the game and then charge you 60 bucks for it like with with the updated Mm. stuff so right but they didn't really tell you that most of the time they'd be like oh this is like um uh uh, virtual fighter 4 did it right on the ps2 but it was more just like oh it's a budget release so you save some money and you get some bonus stuff but when you play the game you're like oh it plays a little differently it feels a little more refined uh, you know, but me, they they never would put out an email saying, "Hey, here's all the patches." They, I don't. They I, do that now. Maybe they do, but like when I was a kid, like I, I think you're right. Like I never knew, like, oh, if I buy Super Street Fighter Two, it's Street Fighter Two, but like updated. Like it's more like uh, what do they say? Like balanced. I didn't know that. Like I just bought it because right. I was like, oh, they got new characters. That's why I didn't buy it because. Uh, and that's how they that's how they sold them because now on social media you'll have like the Sega or Sonic account being like, "Hey guys, there's a patch coming out tomorrow. Here are the fixes." And I think back in the day, like that would be taboo because it would be like admitting your game has problems, oh, yeah. which I don't think anyone wants to do. They don't want to be like. But nowadays, it's like it's a good thing because you're like it's it's all those all that shit you've been hearing online. It's not it's not valid anymore. You know, like if you see anything dated before today, ignore it because the game you're playing is is this. But you, you couldn't do that at the time. It was kind of like we're selling games and we still have games on the shelf. That's the old revision. So the last thing they're going to do is say, hey, if you see Virtua Fighter 4 non-platinum or non-like best of release, that's a shit one. Don't buy it. Like they're not going to say that. <laughs> you know. No. It's, different time it was era. a different world. Yeah. Um, the other modes in Marvel vs. Capcom 2 included versus, training, score attack, which was similar to arcade mode, but uh, this time you would get a high score by surviving. The, oh, I actually skipped the, the other stuff, but okay, arcade mode. In this one, it didn't have character specific endings. Uh, no matter how you beat the game or what team you beat, you got the same ending. Um, so mm. this is like the stark difference between this and other Capcom fighting games. Like I remember like, um, rival schools, you would get specific endings depending on who your team was. So if you had like a, a, one of the characters and a different character, they would have their own ending. But if you had that same first character and then like it's a different second character, it would be a different ending. I would, I would assume. But, uh, did you ever mm. beat arcade mode in, in Capcom games? Just to see the ending of, of a character's story, like you ever see a character and you're like, "What's Blanca's ending?" I need to, I need to know. I need to know. I I would for Power Stone, yeah, um, because I remember each character in the original Power Stone. I believe they had like an ending, 
They had like a yeah. I, it wasn't so much an ending as a, like a, a, a f- image, right? Like mm-hmm. that kind of resolved their story. Um, and you know, I guess since we're talking Capcom, that uh, uh, Power Stone vinyl and cassette tape was announced from Ship to Shore Media, so that's really cool. Sold out. I uh, heard. What are your quick thoughts on that? Are you excited for that? Yeah, I am actually. It's finally time that we got a Power Stone something release. You know what I mean? How long has it been that we got a oh, physical? Oh, it did sell out. Yeah, I already bought out. it. That's awesome. I didn't. My brother bought it, though. Can you believe that? So he has it, but I don't. I will say sh- Ship to Shore puts stuff back into print. They are not like a limited run company, so you'll see it back. Okay, I'll just look uh, look for it. because I'm getting it, for sure. I'm excited about that. Um, as far as uh, games, like, one thing I used to do a lot, you know, offline was try to beat these games for the ending. Like, I would always do it in Street Fighter 2. I almost beat everyone as a kid. Like, that's pretty hard because that that game was so cheap, you know? <laughs> when you get to the last boss, they just cheap you <laughs> out so bad that, like, I remember that's probably the most I've ever yelled at my TV as a kid. Like, you're like, come on, this is cheap. Are you serious? Especially uh, Street Fighter Alpha 1. Like, that game almost made me give up on, like, living. Like, I'm like, this is not worth it. But anyway, this game, obviously, I, I wish they had different stories for different people. They weren't huge stories, right. but I, I just enjoyed them growing up. So nostalgically, I would have loved it. But uh, so, like we said, other modes included versus training, score attack, which was like arcade mode, but you survived the longest, gathering points. The longer you survived in these matches, the arcade version, like I mentioned before, has an experience system that uh, to get hidden character. Uh, oh, they had it, but they replaced it with this thing called the secret factor. Which is basically, in my mm-hmm. opinion, the same. It was like EXP points that you unlock hidden characters in the sub-menu. And uh, stage backgrounds and color schemes. Um, if you were high IQ, like me and my friends, you would actually just download <laughs> save files from Planet Web. I don't know if you guys did that, because yeah. I did that. Because like, one, one time, well, what do you think about, <laughs> what do you think about Marvel vs. Capcom 2 uh, being a little plain when it comes to extras, and also, do you remember this point system, and what was your strategy to lock everything? Because, like, me and my friend um, found well, out that you could just leave it on. You have one. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, <laughs> sorry, sorry, go on. No, 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 I, I mean, as far as extras, I was kind of spoiled with, like, the Power Stone games, especially two, where they had that amazing, like, item shop where you could fuse items together, you could, like, make a baseball card, Ooh. and, like... And like a like a beehive and like combine them and it's like you got a sandwich and you're like oh okay <laughs> right. like just crazy stuff like that you know and then this is a little vanilla but it seems like you had fun with it so I want to hear what your no, what's your I, strat I, what's your I, game no, strat I, I hated I hated the point system I thought it was useless because it wasn't <laughs> how good you did in the game it was how much time you spent in the game. So when my friend told me this, he's like, dude, just leave the game. Before we had internet, you know, he's like, leave the game on. You can just mm-hmm. unlock everything overnight. So I, I would just leave my Dreamcast on overnight. And then when I woke up, it would have a bunch of points. So I, I, that's what I did. But then we found out about Planet Web. So anytime we would lose our save file or we, somebody saved it over or we deleted it, we would just go to, to mm-hmm. Planet Web and be like, who wants to play Capcom? You know, and then we just download the file and all the characters were unlocked. So, in my opinion, it should have just been unlocked from the start. Because, like, if it's not based on, like, actually playing the game, you know what I mean? Like, if you do a combo, you unlock something. You know what I mean? Like, how they do now achievements. Right. Yeah. That that, that right. would have been sick if there was, like, missions like that. that. It wasn't like that. It was just spending time on it. So, 
leaving it on night all night, you know, would do would do it basically for everyone. Let's talk about the characters. I mean, if anything makes this game what it is, it's the characters, right? Uh, which was mm-hmm. the biggest selling point for the game back in the, in, in the day because it featured over 50 characters and Capcom was in line. It featured exactly 56 characters from both Marvel and Capcom. Technically, the game only had four exclusive characters, meaning they're not from other franchises, I guess. So th- considering this is a Marvel vs. Capcom game, I don't think you want that many exclusive characters. Since Capcom... Uh, and also characters from other titles it doesn't mean that capcom didn't go in and actually change some of the characters like dr doom actually was uh had added more had more moves in this game and thanos was actually kind of uh, gimped down because he was a boss character in the other one and he was like too op um some mm. new character some new marvel characters in the roster included cable and t- and a nanium less wolverine like without his like metal so it's like it's still the same character. They just sh- changed the shading, but all right. And Marrow, right. and also uh, Felicia and Anacaris, and Bonnie Hood from uh, Darkstalkers got in, and Guile from Street Fighter Alpha 3 got in using that same model. Uh, Hayato from Star Gladiator. Jill Valentine, Tron Bond, and the Servbot from Mega Man Legends also made it in, <laughs> which is kind of like one of the weirdest characters in these games, right? Um, so, right. Let's look at the first, the four exclusive characters in this uh, page. We have Ruby Hart, which is like the bad guy in this game in the story mode. Um, she's like a pirate, mm-hmm. and from what I read, she was supposed to be a character for a different game, and like they didn't use the sprites, so they just became Marvel vs. Capcom two. A character, Amanigo, is like a Mexican cactus. Like this is the same thing. Remember we had Bean in Marvel vs. Uh, in Makeup yeah. Mix, which is like a sombrero guy. I don't know. Like I feel like every time exactly, Japan, yeah. Every time Japan's like Mexicans, some sombrero. We got to add that. That's what their culture is about. <laughs> it's like they read the book, like just the front page, you know. Uh, Sun Sun Three, which is a little monkey girl, and Abyss the last one which is like the bad guy in the game which is like this generic thing with horns with like green neon horns um right so what's your opinion on the weirdo characters that capcom had lying around like there's so many ca- weird characters like if you just look down this thing it's like captain commandos in here like i didn't even know what captain commando was he had one arcade game in the 90s right i never played right. it well, for the the four exclusive ones, I think what's interesting is that like with Ruby Hart, it's a pirate as the lead like villain. Yeah. And in Power Stone, it was Kraken was the lead villain who is also a pirate. And Ruby Hart should have Kraken been in Power didn't... Stone. Well, I'm just I feel like there were it was something going on at Capcom at the time where they're like, oh, the lead villain's a pirate. I don't know why. Um, and I also think it's interesting that Sun Sun is a like granddaughter of a character from a 1984 Capcom game. So I looked that up and it's like it's so cute. It looks like a like a little arcade like cute little game. <laughs> you know, they look like um Monster World characters. So it's so funny. It's like if Sega did a fighting game and then they're like it's Pengo 3, you know, or something like that. <laughs> Redesigned? Um 
Right, like redes- complete redesign lifted up to the, like Virtua Fighter levels, but it's like the grandson of like Alex Kidd or something. Like it would just be bizarre. Um, but yeah, as far as the the roster, I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's I, I think Surfbot's funny and just how how small it is does that mean it has a small hit box yeah like is it harder to hit it, it is kind of annoying to hit some of the it's funny because like i think some of the like sprites look really good but then there's like these really weird ones like if you look up roll from uh the mega mm-hmm. man it's like the like they didn't even put any effort into that one like there's some of these where you're looking at them and you're like oh i guess roll isn't on this one maybe it's a different one i was looking at the surf bot is super small i agree like they had some weird ones. oh yeah here it is here's roll she she looks so weird. She looks like a like a like a Genesis game model. It's weird compared to the other ones. That are more fluid. Um, they definitely had some of these. Yeah, it's the black outline. It's like they're inconsistent. Some of the sprites don't really look like they're from the same game. I, I will say that like that is weird. I really like that they use like uh, Gorath from like Marvel Comics or the like. Silver Samurai or Spiral. These are characters that don't really get a lot a lot of play in the in the Marvel universe or in comics today. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're like big characters. So it's interesting. Thanos is being super fat and weird looking, <laughs> like the old look of him. I think it's funny considering what he is now, you know. He's so popular now as a character. Right. Yeah. So that was interesting. Um so growing up, I always was a big fan of, of Capcom. I think they camp- they capture their own style, but it, it, this is really the Jim Lee era Capcom. I mean, Marvel like design wise, like that's the Sabretooth they design, that's the Psylocke they design, that's the Omega Red they design, uh, that's the Juggernaut definitely that they designed. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of costume, but nowadays it seems that Marvel is more stuck in making the MCU movie stuff like. Instead of comic related, uh, because like if you watch the new What If series they did, it's like I thought it was going to be like based on the comics. You know how when you see like the DC animated, they're usually based on comics. In this one, it's they're right. literally U- MCU characters with fake voice actors trying to sound like the actors, and like they're playing the performance of the movie characters in this What If universe. Um, back then, it was like a lot. Of, they would be a lot more okay with using Mar like oh this is literally the x this is literally x-men from the comics right so do you prefer that they're doing right they're not do you prefer that them focusing on the movie aspect of it since everyone knows about it or do you like it when they were more you know like letting people be comic characters i i prefer the dc way of doing things i really like that dc despite me not really having watched them dc has this like super deep animated universe like a a direct-to-DVD and streaming movie will come out, and people are like, oh my god, it's the continuation of the last, like, 20 years of animation. Like, that's that's huge. I think that's really cool. Um, and then you look at the comics, and they've got... I don't know where DC's at right now with the comics, but is New 52 still a thing? They did Rebirth, and right now they're doing... Um, I don't know. They're doing this thing called Infinite uh, Frontier, and they're doing, like... Um, basically... Uh, they're, they're they're prepping up for another big event like they always do. But yeah, they're in that okay. era. Yeah, and then and then even with the movies, like Marvel would never do this. But like, it, it's, I mean, on one hand, Marvel the, the MCU is like super big and like they've got control of it. And the movies come out, the movies make money and move on. Like, 
it, it's just kind of so funny how like something like Shang, what is it, Shang-Chi? Yeah. Will come out and people will be like, oh, it's great. It's awesome. Moving on to the next movie. And then like Wonder Woman 84 will come out and people are like, holy crap, I hated this. Let's talk about it. I'm going to make 30 YouTube videos. And I'm like, to me, it's like, would you rather go to the theaters and see a new Wonder Woman movie or like a forgettable Mar? I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, it's it's weird to me. Like, I kind of like with the X-Men movies. Like, I'd rather see a bad X-Men movie that like takes chances than a cookie cutter movie that's just meant to like move the series along. You know what I yeah. mean? Like. I feel like with the old Marvel movies, like around the X-Men era and the DC movies, like each movie is an event. It's not seen as a stepping stone for like some big epic story. Um, and I kind of prefer that, oh. you know, it's, it's, I like that more. I like the one-off um, with like little kind of things connecting them. Like with, um, what did they do? Superman died in Batman versus Superman. And then the next two movies there were like hints of Bruce Wayne trying to put the Justice League together, but it wasn't the focus. You yeah. know what I mean? Like at the end of Suicide Squad, he was just like talking to Amanda Waller, but that wasn't like that. You didn't require that. Whereas now you go see a Spider-Man movie and you're like, oh, we got Doctor Strange. Is this a Doctor Strange movie? <laughs> you know, like they're, I don't know. They're I just definitely kinda, being I kind of more... miss the gone. Sorry. No, I, I just, I miss the day of going to see a Spider-Man movie, and it's like the Spider-Man comic universe. And I understand that m the Marvel universe in the comics is bigger, but like, imagine that, like the Raimi Spider-Man movie was the last time we really had like a compact trilogy, self-contained story where it wasn't like 30 other movies connected to it. Like the, the fact that I can't watch the Spider-Man movies on Disney+, Plus, but I can watch movies with Spider-Man in it on Disney+, Plus is weird to me. You know, it's just... Uh, you know or, what? or Black Panther has had more cameos and other things than Black Panther movies. It's you know, weird. I don't, I don't even know if people even, like, understand that these are continuations sometimes because, like, I'll talk to people and they're like, yeah, I watched The Mandalorian. Isn't it crazy that like Yoda's a baby and they're gonna and I'm like, that's not Yoda. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You think that's Yoda? Wait, a, and so like some people are just, oh, I'm happy because I like the action. You know, like they'll go in there, coming up with their own conclusions. Mm. Like that's Baby Yoda. That's Boba Fett right. rescuing him from back in the time. And it's like, no, no, no. You got it all wrong, my dude. This takes place after six. Right, but then it also like it kind of helps the studio because they make money regardless. You yeah. saw that with um, the original Suicide Squad when it came out. Like, the critical... It was... Critically, it was panned. A lot of fans hated it. But it made insane amounts of money. And it's because it wasn't just, like, the hardcore comic book fans going. It was, like, the NASCAR crowd and, like, the the regular old family just going to see a movie because it was like, oh, it's got the Joker in it. Pretty cool. much. The Joker's You know, back. and they, they, and like, to be quite honest, like, I, I went to go see it and I was like, oh, that was fun. And I didn't really think about it afterwards. Unlike some people who are just like, like getting a, like having a brain aneurysm over like, having bad I don't know, movies, the Joker having a grill. Having bad care. movies. There's like an actual market for people that just hate movies. That's the best part because you can make a lot of money hating on movies all day. Um, so when you win and played Marvel's yeah. Capcom 2... What is your go-to team? Yep. Like, without even thinking about it, you're like, okay, I'm going to have to select something. God, these are these are my banger characters that I select. I would prob probably go 
with Spider-Man. Sick. And then probably a female character, because I always like to team them up. Um, I can't really say, though. Maybe Storm. Storm and Spider-Man might be a good combo for me, just in the way I like to play. If that's possible. Yeah, yeah, you can. I was just... It's a three-character okay. thing. you got to pick one more character we're going to be playing. Oh, 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 oh. Right. Um, probably, like, a big boy. Like, Sabretooth or something. Like, kind of round it out. I always like to take, like, the Golden Axe approach. Mm. Where it's, like, male, female, and then big bulky guy. <laughs> you know? Something like that. Mine was always, like, Ryu because I played him in Street Fighter 2. So, like, I knew his uh, bread and butter stuff. Um... Wolverine, because he was so cool in the comics, and he went ching-ching, and he had claws. And Cable, and mostly Cable, because, like, he was so cheap. He had, like, that weird gun that takes up all the screen, and you could just, like, literally just blast. And uh, he annoyed a lot of people, because a lot of people can't zone in this game that I played with. So, uh, definitely Cable. He's sick. Let's talk about the music, which this part of the whole... My notes actually surprised me. Uh, the music for Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is now considered iconic to some people, I guess. One of the fighting game's most unique soundtracks, or, or one in, in the history of fighting games, at least. Uh, I feel like Capcom's fighting mm-hmm. game division at this time was really allowed to do anything they really wanted to on, on, their, on their games, including presentation. But believe it or not, the game for Marvel vs. Capcom 2 wasn't liked by everyone. The soundtrack was very jazz-inspired, and according to sites like IGN, was a quote, playing god-awful, and saying (laughs) it was jazzy, lounge lizard music and snappy beats that didn't fit with the tone of the game. Martin Taylor from Eurogamer continued his own hot take, saying that the game's uh, great visual flair was let down by the, and I quote, a horrific, lift music-oriented soundtrack and low-quality sound effects. Game Revolution also stated that some of the lamest music you'll ever hear. Um, I guess these guys did not want to go for a ride when it came to this game. Are you surprised that reviewers back hmm. then were so up, upset about the, I guess, soundtrack? I mean, the soundtrack was strange, let's be honest. When you first heard it, it was like, what the hell is this? I... I am, and I'm not surprised because I will see that a lot in like cla- retro, like classic gaming magazines when I like page through them. Like there will be these games with iconic soundtracks, and then they'll just say some backhanded remark about, you know, it's great except for the music. Like I saw one, it was like, it was some some magazine that was referring to a racing game soundtrack, and they're like, at least it's not, you know unlistenable like metropolis street racer and i'm like are you kidding me metropolis street racer has a fantastic soundtrack so it's like i don't know what these people expect maybe they wanted just like orchestral like you know like and that would work but is that memorable is that unique that's i don't know that's an interesting i actually wonder what our our audience would think you know like about the soundtrack now like right i always get it stuck in my head so i don't know if it was bad back then it was like i found it weird because it was so like much vocals and like um and it wasn't what i expected it to be but like it actually grew on me you know uh growing up with it um so more about the music uh, back in 2009 after leaving capcom the composer for the soundtrack Tet- tetsua Sh- 
Shibata. Talk to VGM uh, website called uh, video game music website called SquareEnixMusic.com about his historic soundtracks at Capcom. The only thing he really said about uh, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was when they asked him that Street Fighter Alpha 3 and this soundtrack were like the most controversial soundtracks he's ever created. He said, "I agree with your opinion on Marvel vs. Capcom 2." It was free to com to compose in any genre, so I could easily make a change from previous installments. As for Street Fighter Zero Three, there was some kind of limitation in terms of musical style, but I, according to him, he picked the musical style, and I guess he lives and dies by it. Fans haven't. Fans have also been haters for this of the soundtrack. Um, here's a guide by Rocket Boy that lets you change the soundtrack to from Marvel's Capcom Two. So you could burn a disc. Uh, most people replace the soundtrack with this thing called Marvel vs. Capcom 2 Accurate Mix, which uh, tries to change the sound effects and soundtrack to keep more up tempo, like the action. We could get it. We have a video right here. If uh, I'm gonna play a little bit, tell me if you can hear it, so we can hear a little bit of the mm -hmm. sound. What they got? It's like. High beat techno. Right. So that kind of gives you an idea of this. So, uh, what's your opinion on people remixing game soundtracks and modding the original game because they hate the soundtrack so much? Uh, I've never seen this <laughs> in other notes. I, honestly. If anything, Sega does soundtracks right, so we don't have to see that. But uh, would you, and would you ever do this? Right, I I think it's really bizarre. I almost think it's kind of insulting to the original composer to call it accurate mix, as though his was like incorrect or inaccurate. Um, it's cool. I mean, it's fine. People can do it. It's cool. They're free to do it. But I I wouldn't do it. It just seems like a waste of time for me. Like the music is the music of the game, so get over it. I think some people can be incredibly entitled to and, and pretty mean. I remember uh, just a few days ago, Tomoya Otani was posting on Twitter uh, responding to people who say that he just likes like synthesizers now. Oh yeah. And he was yeah, like I, I he said I, he was like I use a variety of instruments and it all depends on the, the setting in the game and it's like yeah, like leave the dude alone for one thing, like he didn't take away music from, like, your game. He doubled the soundtrack of Sonic Colors. And it's, to my ears, I thought it sounded great. But it seems like people are, like, upset with him. It just, and I'm just waiting for the mod to come where they're like, oh, here's the accurate, Sonic Colors accurate. <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm so actually, I'll, we can't edit it, though. Maybe the Steam version or whatever, the PC version, will have the accurate mix. Maybe... <laughs> Which is like the old soundtrack, I guess, right? Right. Got right. you. Well, yeah. Capcom, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 actually had a lot of different versions. Obviously, we talked about the arcade and the Dreamcast version, which is the most popular versions in my opinion, because I don't really hear that many people talk about the Xbox and PS2 versions of the game. So let's talk first about the PS2 version of the game, which came out in 2002, two whole years after the Dreamcast mm. version. Obviously, this game was uh, while the game was built on the uh, Naomi Sega arcade hardware, was which basically a beefed up Dreamcast. 
the PS2 version was actually worse, obviously. Um, according to uh, people online that play it way higher, uh, like, you know, they know what they're doing and not me, right? High-level high, high level play, mm -hmm. they said that there's some glitches in the game and some of the combos don't mix. I think some people said they're like, Sentinels, Rocket Power Punch to Fierce to five times super doesn't work. Like, little things like that where you'd be like, oh, this worked on the Dreamcast and Arcade, but not here. And let's be honest, that's like right. one of the biggest things that you want when you play, when you buy a home console version of an arcade game is that even if the animations aren't good, even if it has slowdown, which the PS2 does apparently, and it, and, apparent, and, if it, and even if the graphics suck, you want the combos to be accurate to the arcade version because one of the reasons people buy it is to try out their combos and learn how to play without spending a bunch of quarters. So that sucks. Right. And then the next hmm. the next year, it came out on the Xbox. Uh, people's uh, people's biggest problems were basically no online. Neither of those ver versions have online, but I feel like people kind of shit on the Xbox version even more because Xbox Live was a thing and everyone had DSL modems at this point. Um, also, the same problems with the mechanics on the PS2 version. Um, and uh, they said that both of these versions have worse sound than the Dreamcast version. And considering that the Dreamcast version had a accurate remix, that means this is probably really bad right. in sound quality. Um, have you played these versions of Capcom versus Marvel or Marvel vs. Capcom 2? Uh, no, not those versions, but I have a feeling we're going to be discussing the one I, I do own and have played. We are. I, I haven't played these either, actually. Mm -hmm. And I was gonna go and I was gonna look them up to see how much they cost. Yeah, they they rare, they rare, no big deal. <clears throat> Capcom would announce the digital Xbox Live Arcade and PSN version of Marvel's Capcom 2 that was released in 2009, which was ported by Backbone Entertainment, who just got off porting Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix. The team actually used the original Dreamcast code as the base for the game, and they finally added online functionality to the game with the same netcode from the Street Fighter 2 port they did. The game also mm -hmm. had different filters like smooth, crisp, and classic, and even added widescreen mode. Capcom seemed to know about the soundtrack controversy, and they even added a music volume control and a custom soundtrack. Capcom would release a free hip-hop mixtape to go with the game, <laughs> so you could add it. Um, funny enough, there's a PlayStation blog post right here from 2009 that basically kind of mocks saying, oh, we're sticking it to eBay. It's only 15 bucks, huh? What do you think, eBay? Of course, the <laughs> game would, uh, they would delist it in 2013. So I guess not too much stuck. I will look down right. in, in a little bit of, uh, I'll show, well, I guess I can show you the picture now. But uh, there is a physical version of just the case. I don't know if you if you ever picked this up. Uh, that just basically uh, had um, it was a Marvel vs. Capcom two case. And then when you bought it at GameStop, it's in the, in the article, the PlayStation blog article. You can see it if you haven't if you want to see the picture. But uh, basically, mm -hmm. you, it would be a case, and you would go to GameStop, and it was like limited run, and then you would pay fifteen bucks, and then it came with the code, but with the physical case. Well. That case is rare. I own it. It's in my in my in my room somewhere. I picked it up because I heard about it. I woke up and it was on like cheap ass gamer or something that they were doing it. And I called my local GameStop. I'm like, you got the game? I was gonna buy it anyway, digitally. 
And they're like, yeah, we have, well, yeah, we have two copies of it. I got there. There's only one more left, and apparently they only got two per store or oh something like that. So I got lucky. <sighs> I, I'm I really like it. They also did this vinyl release. Um, let me see if I can show it because the the blog is all screwy. They did this vinyl, uh, the mixtape that they did for free. They did a vinyl version of it that was also uh, hmm. pretty rare. I never. I wish I could get it. I I don't have it, but I do have the case, which is cool. And so I have it digitally, which and that's even rare. The digital version's rare. Come on, guys, you have the digital version, right? For for Xbox Live, yeah, for yeah, Xbox yeah. Live, yeah. All right, cool. Because um, that's actually an issue, an issue because like nobody could buy it anymore. Because uh, apparently, Capcom said that they removed it from digital stores because of the Marvel license, which sucks. But I guess you can, you know, Marvel does what Marvel does. You know, we can't really. Right. Um, first, let's uh, let's talk about advertisement. This game actually did not have as much advertisement, even though it was like. One of the top 10 selling Dreamcast games. The advertisement wasn't as big as like Shimu or anything like that. But uh, the first thing we do have here is a uh, E3 trailer posted by uh, Okiaji Ki- Dragon, who we ta- I've talked to on uh, Twitter before. So I kind of wanted to give him a uh, shout out to his video. This is the... E3 2000 trailer that was uh, got, it was uh, gotten from VHS. It's pretty hmm. as like the music, creepy music. So supposed to get you. This trailer reminds me of like the Sonic Adventure 2 one, like the music. Yeah. 56 playable tracks. Yeah, characters. yeah, yeah. It's like this is like the generic E3 music, right? So they're just showing you the characters and the graphics, which pretty That's sick. Funny. All the characters you could play. Like it's not super like detail. Like now we have these like weird trailers that they spend months and months because it's the first time people will see the game. Back then it was like, alright, here's all the gameplay, just splice it together. But yeah, it looks great. Um they this is what they would play in E3 2000 when you would go, I guess, and walk around. Um Right. Would this get you hyped That's for the cool. game? And what cover is this? I mean, yeah. I think it looks pretty cool. What cover is this? <laughs> That's not the cover for the US. That's not the cover. Yeah, man. What's up with this? I don't know this. That's interesting. They would do that a lot, actually. The um, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, and then there was a Mega Man game that came out on PlayStation at the time, and Power Stone 2. The designer there was using the same template basically it was a green piece of art in the background like they took a piece of art and like made it green and mm. then they put a character or two in front of it and then the logo they did this time and time again it was so weird we have I'll, stupid i have two print ads one of them is for the dreamcast version that says 56 incredible legends one incredible fighting game um invincible legend sorry and they, they used to have a two-page spread for this because I remember it vividly from the Dreamcast magazine. But this is probably the ad mm-hmm. they played the most or people saw the most in America because, I mean, magazines were still popular during this time period. And so you could just get away with a magazine ad like this. I think the brand name alone kind of sold this game, I think. It's just like 56 characters in one of the biggest battle games of all time. Yeah, of course people are going to buy it. Oh, right. Absolutely. Um. Also, this is the... I would say this is the arcade one because I don't see a, uh, any console name, but 
the best of the best are back, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, and then it has character profile art, which is beautiful artwork. Um, yeah, I mean, they all have the same scheme. It looked like blue was the big scheme for Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're just fine ads. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think the yeah. uh, Dreamcast one is nice. It gets you hooked. If you already know what the X-Men and Capcom are, you're in. So, yeah, I'm surprised it didn't have an actual TV ad. That's why I'm surprised. That is surprising, like with like animation or like costumed actors or something. That would have been cool. Yeah, I'm actually surprised because it's so popular. I was like, man, you think you thought they would? So um, let's close up the the episode by talking about the legacy of the game. Like we said before, the legacy of uh, Marvel's Capcom Two is huge, especially with tournament players in the scene. While uh, while Marvel's Capcom Two is the fourth entry of the series. After the success of the title, we actually got Marvel vs. Capcom 3 in 2011. And then the disaster is Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite in 2017. There was also a Marvel vs. Capcom Origins, but that was kind of like a re-release of two games in 2012, which was like, it was like a compilation Mm -hmm. of Marvel superheroes and Marvel vs. Capcom Clash of Superheroes. And uh, even though in Wikipedia they have it as its own entry, like a game, it's just two games in one, so I don't consider that an actual game entry um have you played any of these future uh versus games you know marvelous <laughs> capcom 3 or infinite and what is your general opinion of the change in style since this is the last time we had these 2d sprites uh since you know three and infinite right. have their own style and models and stuff uh so have you played yeah the other ones? um i i believe i've played three at one point but to me it's just it's all kind of kind of forgettable, especially uh, Infinite. I remember when that was revealed, and I was like, is this going to be a big deal? And then, no, it no. really wasn't. Um, but, yeah, it's just kind of surprising that this was kind of the end of the series, in a sense, just in, in terms of, like, what people really, truly loved about it. Um, and, I, I mean, I think it's time to go back and either maybe make an, a true sequel in 2D, maybe like Sonic for it, you know, like Marvel versus Capcom, like the true three. Oh yeah, that. I don't know. There's a there's a lot of people that actually like Marvel vs. Capcom three, like the style. They they're fine mm-hmm. with it. When it came out, man, I was so upset. I was like, wait, they're not gonna do the 90s style. They made it like super cool. Like I was, I wanted them to do like Guilty Gear type, like high resolution, high animated uh, sprites, you know, but like mix around with some 3d effects and all that to like you know add lighting and depth they didn't they never did that they kind of went their own style and i was a little mad but i kind of grew on me over time the gameplay seems to be the closest to two i guess i mean all things considering infinite was just ugly and i didn't like the fact that they were using movie uh models and i'm like nah you're either gonna go all the way and go comic or don't go all the way so (laughs) whatever i didn't buy infinite but i did buy three so Capcom got some money off of me. Um, while Marvel vs. Capcom 2 has always been in high demand uh, for re-release since 2013, um, um, one streamer, Maximilian Dude, has launched hashtag free Marvel vs. Capcom 2. He started this on August 2nd of this year, and uh, he did a video, which I'll play. Uh, it's only a minute. I'll play on his Twitter so we could understand uh the hashtag movement this thing's gotten 21,000 retweets and 33,000 likes so i will play it 
I would like to start a Twitter hashtag, which is hashtag free Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Free MVC2 from its imprisonment that it's been stuck in for the past seven years of it being unreleased, unavailable, and unpurchasable. To get as many people to remind Digital Eclipse, Marvel and Capcom, how important Marvel vs. Capcom 2 actually is to you, much less the history of video games. How much do you love Marvel 2? And give them a reason to bring that back. I want to get as many Marvel vs. Capcom 2 fans, people that would be interested in buying a MVC 2 re-release on modern day systems or PlayStation 4 or whatnot, you know? Make it with functioning online, slightly better HD visuals, something that would at least allow us to enjoy the game together in the modern day. I'm gonna ask for your guys' help to get this uh, potentially a thing that'll get trending in some way to get Marvel vs. Capcom 2 back out of jail, where it's been stuck for way too damn long. Marvel. So, from what I gathered, I mean, obviously we could tell Max, like, why don't you play the Dreamcast version? It's still there, it's still good. But uh, according to him, he's been trying, well, I, I saw his stream one time and he kind of talked about it. He said um, that he's been teaming up with Twitch to do these tournaments, right, where they're playing uh, older games. Um, they're fine playing King of Fighters and all this, right? But they, he wants to do a Marvel vs. Capcom 2 tournament. But Twitch, you can't play it online, right? So you, now with COVID, you have to do online play. There's no online version and the, except for the digital version, which you can't buy. So you have to have like a modded X or Xbox 360 or have bought it back in the day. Right. Um, and you can't have modded consoles when you play online and definitely not with Twitch being a sponsor. They're not going to be like, oh, this guy played a model, you know. Max is telling right. people to pirate the game and pirate and uh, you know go uh, hack their consoles so they could play a tournament that we are uh, <laughs> sponsoring. Not going to happen. So the only way for him to get these tournaments and the game going again and kind of do a revive of it would be to release it again with online play on Xbox Series X, uh, you know PS5 and all these right. consoles, right? So. Um, what you think it's time now for re-release maybe mark you think maybe disney should uh take the foot foot off the brake a little <laughs> bit stop being so stingy when it comes to this because that guardians of the galaxy well, game looks like shit so i don't know what they're doing it's interesting because disney is very open to lucasfilm or lucasarts re-releasing their classic games i mean I think just about every classic LucasArts game has seen a re-release under Disney. So it's kind of surprising that the way Marvel's been functioning is it's like, no, we don't want to remember the old stuff. We just want to put out epic 3D money-making games again and again and again. Um, and it's like, yeah, you can do that. And you can also make money on on classic games. Now... Things could change because Disney has a new CEO. His name, I believe, is Bob Chapek. Mm. And his big thing is to make like money in as many areas as possible. And there's already been a shift in um, DVDs. So under about a year and a half ago, they were like, no more classic Disney movies are going to see like a 4K release. You're not going to see that anymore on disc. And then in the last few months, they've been announcing like Roger Rabbit and some other classic movies. Um, and then on top of that, like Disney's been releasing a bunch of classic movies to Blu-ray through their um, their movie club. So I really feel like there's probably a shift in culture. So maybe once COVID kind of goes away, we'll start seeing 
more, you know, decisions being made about stuff like Marvel versus Capcom 2, which is very niche when it comes to the grand scheme of, like, everything that Disney owns. So it's good that Maximilian is doing this. I think it will catch the attention. Because end of the day, if if the effort, if the money you put into bringing this out is minimal and they know they're going to sell copies, then why not? Like, do the limited run games thing. It, it's very clear that Lucasfilm is fine with doing it with them. So why should Marvel not have a problem? And you know? They, so. they re-released... Lion King, uh, and like other games, right. it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. what are you like? Aladdin, like, yeah. I, I, like, I never heard anyone go, We need Aladdin right now for tournament play. It's like, come on, guys, you know, people want Marvelous Capcom. That was that was a really surprising release because that's the kind of release where I'm like, I love seeing it, but even I'm like, Why did you do this? What a waste of time! Yeah, like, it's cool, it's really awesome to have them again, but like. Why would a company be like, let's make an Aladdin and Lion King compilation of the Genesis and uh, Game Boy games, and then on top of that, put in like hours of special features? It was like such a. It almost felt like it didn't happen in the last few years. It feels like something you'd see release on Xbox Live in like 2013. You know, like it just didn't. It felt so out of place. I was going to say, is there like any like early 90s um, like franchise games oh. that like you're like, oh, I would kill right now to be, be able to buy digitally or in a physical copy on the, on the modern console? I, I would go, go all out for a cool spot re-release wow cool i'd be spot. on board for I, was gonna, that. I thought you were gonna say the simpsons the arcade game which i think they did for a while they might that would be it. cool um, yeah but that came back already as a um as a one, one of those mini arcade machines one, yeah yeah, yeah. buy a one-up arcade can you imagine bro i don't know i don't have room for a one-up arcade but i'm holding off i keep seeing them and i'm like star wars simpsons like i should be getting these but if they do a Sonic the Fighters one, you have to, right? I will get it. Yeah, I mean, it, lo- yeah. it would look and so it'll sick. It'll go right. It'll go right there behind yeah. me. Yeah, it looks so sick in front of the Wreck It Ralph machine. They have the outrun, <laughs> the outrun run, but it, like you want the real deluxe arcade cabinet. You don't want the like fake. Will one. it hold me? That's what I'm saying. I'm like, can the outrun the, thing hold an adult? The deluxe one, the real one, or the the one up one the 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 arcade one up it looks like you know, it's made of plywood yeah. like isn't it gonna break i don't know i saw like a really skinny woman uh <laughs> using it on the trailer and i'm like nope that ain't for me that's for sure <laughs> um skinny women yeah. don't play outrun. yeah they don't she wasn't playing it was obviously the video was playing <laughs> it was cgi but um i would right. say also the tmnt games i think were pretty big for me growing up so i would definitely would want to see the konami stuff uh you know, them do more with yeah. that would be sick. But we got that at the very least we have that new new one coming out from uh what is it, dot EMU or oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it's from It looks really good, yeah, yeah. And yeah. uh T Lopes is doing the soundtrack, so that should be interesting to uh Right. So we'll most most likely see a limited run games like Ultra release where it'll be like tons of Ninja Turtles stuff. Oh, it'll be so cool. Okay. I'm looking I'm pretty excited that. for that. Um do we have any Patreon comments in this thing? We do, actually. Um, If we're closing the show out, if you are a Patreon patron at any level, we will read your memories at the end of the show. This week we have two of them. The first one is from Nicholas Schaefer. He has to say, wow, 
This is such an amazing game, it started my love of fighting games. Any game where you can play as Mega Man versus Iron Man is a guaranteed fun time. Damn right. As a kid, I always <laughs> I was always a DC Comics guy, but outside of Spider-Man and outside of Spider-Man knew nothing about Marvel, but this game put Marvel on the map for me in addition to the web slinger. I fell in love with Iron Man and Doctor Doom. People say nobody knew who Iron Man was before the MCU, but for me it was Marvel vs. Capcom 2 that put him front and center as my favorite Marvel hero. On the Capcom front, well before this game I wasn't really aware of publishers. There was Nintendo and there was Sega, and, and that's how I saw games, and this game made me aware that Mega Man was a franchise I loved, um, was tied to other Capcom franchises that made uh, gave Street Fighter a try with Third Strike, um, and after having spent way too many quarters on this game in the arcade i finally was able to get it for my dreamcast in 2003 which is a dream come true having one of my favorite arcades at home uh next up we have alice hugh alex hugh who says i remember playing it at some golf place in novi michigan during my senior year i was pretty joyed when i encountered it so unexpectedly yeah isn't that fun like i I have a memory of uh, the Simpsons arcade game being at like a ski lodge, and so I'd only <laughs> see it in the winter. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not, yeah. So yeah, best. so that do you want to wrap it up? That's it. That's the whole episode. I guess that's it. Yeah. All right then. Bye. <laughs> Bye.